0: Hey, we are uh, finishing up. It's a grand finale of our series we've been in, called "In Not Of." When you make a decision to follow Jesus, uh, you move. Um, your citizenship changes. Bible says that we move from being citizens of this earth to being citizens of the kingdom of heaven or God's work. And so, we changed identities. Who we are changes. And uh, in fact, uh, Bob Rose is teaching a class right now at church at 9.30, from 9.30 to 10.30 on identity. It's like, who are we when we become followers of Jesus? And one of the things we realize is that we live in this world, but we're not of it anymore. So there's some things that change about who we are, what we believe and how we act and how we live our lives. Very significant. And so this story that we're uh, finishing up today, we've been in the book of Daniel, the first three chapters, and we've been following the example of some young men who really demonstrated to us how to be in the world, but not of the world. How to live and exist in a pagan culture that does not believe anything we believe and still represent God and live for him as citizens of heaven. And so how do we do that? And we've been looking at their story and their example. You know, the book of Daniel is one of the major prophets. Um, It's one of the longer uh, prophets or books of prophecy that we have. But it begins with some stories about these young men who are moved from their homeland, the southern kingdom of Israel, the uh, land of Judah. And they're conquered by Nebuchadnezzar in 605 BC. They're taken captive And they're dragged into Babylon. And they work under King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's a king that rules the world. Uh, the Babylonians followed the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were kind of the first world power in this era of human history. And, uh, And so we have Babylon now that's ruling, and Nebuchadnezzar brings in people from many different countries that he conquers, and they have lots of different gods, and they worship different gods, and he's bringing them in and trying to amass a unified empire. This is no small task. And so one of the things he does, we learned about last week, as we're in uh, chapter three of the book of Daniel, is he erects a 90-foot statue or tower idol, if you will, and he calls in all of the leaders that he's assembled, all of these high officials that are helping to govern his empire, and he calls them in for uh, a dedication of this 90-foot statue. And when they get there, he says, hey, And by the way, we're not just dedicating this 90-foot statue. You're going to bow down and worship it. And so he tells them that at the sound of the instruments, the music, then everyone is going to bow down and worship this statue that he's erected on the plain of Dura. The problem is that as Jewish young men, they've been commanded in the law not to worship any other gods and not to worship any graven images. So they've been prohibited from worshiping. They have served Nebuchadnezzar. They're serving in his empire. They've submitted to his leadership, but they cannot bow down. And so they're caught in a quandary. What are they gonna do? And last week, the test that we saw them face was the test of would they bow down? Now they withstood that test. They did not bow down. Now King, of, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar on the plain of Dura as he goes through this ceremony has thousands of leaders that are there amassed to worship this uh, 90-foot statue. He does not see that these three young men do not bow. But some of the Babylonian leadership might be a little jealous of these Jews and other nationalities that have come in. They rat them out to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they tell him, you have three leaders, three young men that you put in positions of authority. They didn't bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so... um, One small detail in the story is that Nebuchadnezzar says, you're going to bow down to this statue. And oh, by the way, if you don't, I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. And so they have a threat against their lives, a test of their faith. Will they choose to honor God or will they bow down and take the safe route It's interesting to me that as we watched them last week interact with Nebuchadnezzar and say, Nebuchadnezzar, listen, uh, you are the king of this empire. We respect you as an earthly ruler, but we can't bow down because we serve a God greater than you. And we talked about how you and I face these kinds of situations in our lives. What will we do when we're asked to bow down to the powers that be in our world or the culture we live in? Will we choose to stand for God? It's always a test of faith and they come at us regularly. What will we do? And these young men set such an example for us because they refuse to bow down. And they have one of my favorite passages in scripture, their response, King Nebuchadnezzar, we respect you, but what you're asking to us to do, we cannot do. And so even though you're gonna throw us in a fiery furnace and our life is on the line, we refuse to bow down. The God we worship can save us. But if not, we still won't bow down. This week, as we pick up the story, the finale in chapter 3, we see that these three young men are going to face the fire. Nebuchadnezzar does not relent. In fact, the Bible says his face contorts. I don't know if you've ever interacted with somebody that you had to tell them something they didn't want to hear. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe your dad at some point, you know, his face contorted when you said I don't know, maybe your face has contorted uh, as somebody has said no to you or interacted with you. They weren't submitting to your uh, direction. That's what Nebuchadnezzar does. The Bible says his face changes towards them and all of a sudden he's enraged. He can't back down. He's got to get this group of leaders from all over the world, big personalities, uh, you know, a huge empire. He's got to get them all to respect his leadership. And so he says, turn up the fire seven times hotter. Kind of a metaphor, if you will, a way of him saying, turn that fire up as hot as it will go. These guys are gonna suffer. They're gonna burn the instant they get close to it. He calls in some of his strongest men. It's just kind of, again, an illustration that this is a big deal. It's a show of force. And Nebuchadnezzar says, take them. And when the fire is seven times hotter, when that thing is raging as hot as it'll get, throw them in. And so these young men have to face the consequences of their decision. You know, when we say yes to God and we say no to bowing down, I want to promise you that there'll be consequences to that decision. I think sometimes we think God will say yes to you and no to this other thing as long as you make it work out good for me and there's no consequences. As long as I don't have to suffer, I don't have to lose anything, and and that's just not the way it is. God doesn't promise us that. Jesus doesn't promise us that. He says, listen, if you choose to follow me and say yes to me, there's times that's gonna cost you. In fact, it may cost you a lot. But these young men stood in the face of this test. They said, we will not bow down even if it costs us our life. They get bound with ropes. They're left in their clothes. These strong men carry them um, probably up on some type of a platform where they could be thrown down into the furnace. And they threw them, the Bible says, into the fire. The fire was so hot, Nebuchadnezzar so enraged, that the strong men that had to carry out the task of throwing them into the fire, the Bible says they burned in the process. The fire was so hot. He throws them into the fire. Can I tell you guys that there's times where we're gonna be tested and we're gonna be tested in a similar way. May not be with our life on the line, but in some way, it's gonna cost us if we choose to say yes to God and no to bowing down to the powers that be to the world we live in. And yet I wanna tell you something that in those moments, there's an opportunity. See, these young men knew that the God they worshiped had the power to save them. Do you know the God that you worship? Do you know how powerful he is? A lot of people get frustrated at the nature of things that happen to them in this life, the suffering, the difficulty, the hurts, and people get frustrated with God. God, why would you let that happen? If you loved me, how come I've gotta suffer? How come I've gotta go through this painful situation? And I just want to remind you with all the love that I have, but also a little bit of pressing that God nowhere promises that we will get through this life without pain and suffering. It's not the promise he makes. The question for us is, though, will we trust God with our lives? The God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were serving, they knew that he was a God who loved them, who cared for them, who was the greatest over all the earth, the only true God. And so they worshiped him, they loved him, they served him. And they were willing to go to the fire. When you and I make those decisions not to bow down, to say no to the test, say yes to God, I want to tell you there's an opportunity there. And what happens in our story, which you probably know, is God chooses to intervene, and as Nebuchadnezzar watches, he's able to see down into the furnace, and he he sees something amazing. He's kind of past this issue, this situation. These kids are thrown in. The men that he sent up there are burned all the all the drama, right? And then it's all happened, and he takes a breath and he looks into the fire, and he calls around the men that um, are uh, there with him, his leaders, and he said, "Hey." just want to check. I think I know what happened here, but didn't we throw three guys into the fire? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, that was it, right? And they go, yeah, yeah, we threw three, the three young men, the three Jewish boys. And he goes, well, look into the furnace. There's not three, there's four. And they're walking around. And one of them looks like a god. (laughs) Then he calls out, he goes over to the furnace and he calls out to them and he identifies them as who they are, servants of the most high God. Daniel chapter three, verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. The king calls them and identifies them by the God they said they worshipped. Now they told him before they went in, King, we're just letting you know that the king we worship, he can save us from the fire. Now you know, just like anybody on earth, and many of us even at times, skeptical, right? Uh, Fire burns things. We've got an example up here. Um, It's real. And there's really nothing that escapes out of the flames without being consumed by them. It's one of the elements of earth. This is how the earth works. There's no exceptions to that. A lot of people struggle that a story like this could be true, right? I'm promising you this happened. This is a historical event that took place in the history of the world. These young men were thrown into a blazing furnace and they were not burned. And the reason is because God who made fire, right, He made fire. Guess what he's able to do? He's able to control fire. He also created us. He's able to control what happens to us. These things are not hard. A lot of people struggle with miracles. That's because you don't understand who God is. The God of the Bible, no problem. He made all this stuff, right? It's not hard for him to control it, manipulate it, do things that go outside of the norm. And so these young men are in the fire. He sent an angel to walk with them to protect them from the flames. Nebuchadnezzar sees them, calls them out identifies them as servants of the most high God. Most high means above all. Can I tell you that when you and I make a decision not to bend, not to bow, to take a stand, to obey God, to follow his directives, when we're willing to step out, take the risk, put our neck on the chopping block, if you will, It's not easy to do. But when when we do it, I want to tell you there's an opportunity there that God may choose to use you as an example to show himself to some people that don't believe in him and don't know him. And I know it's hard. I know no one really wants to risk it all in these kind of moments. We just kind of want to go, okay, God, I'll bow down. But you know I'm really not bowing down. You know I'm really not worshiping this idol. I really love you and I'm following you. But when we're willing to step out and be willing to take kind of that public stance in a moment and say, hey, I can't do that. that. That there's an opportunity there. I had a teacher one time that said, God does miracles in the Bible when he's advancing his cause. There's mission advancement or gospel advancement. That's when God does miracles. I, there really aren't that many miracles throughout the history of the world. We, we see them in the Bible. There's not a lot of times they happen, but there's a purpose behind them. And and certainly, I I think we see a lot of miracles today in a lot of ways. I'm not downplaying that, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, these kind of miracles um, that that are just beyond belief, they really happen when there's gospel advancement. And the, the thing is that God was introducing himself to King Nebuchadnezzar, showing himself to be the God who's more powerful than even the fire. When you and I choose to step out and take a stand we give an opportunity for God to do something powerful in us and through us. Of course, these young men were willing to die. They didn't demand that God save them. But because of their faith, God demonstrates through them his power to save. In Daniel 3, verse 27, then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. And their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. (laughs) Oswald Chambers said, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. When we step into these moments and we trust God and we say, God, listen, I may save me, you may not, but I got to take a stand. We strengthen our own resolve to live in a world but not be of it. Usually in my life, these tests are small. Like I told you in when I was younger, it was a test: Am I gonna, you know, am I gonna honor God with my speech or not? Am I gonna honor God with how I treat, you know, girls or not? When I was in high school, it was small tests at first, but it grows as you get older, right? It grows. Are you gonna stand for God or are you going to uh, take the root of popularity or fitting in? And I know that it's hard, and I know we're we're challenged with it. And I just humbly want to encourage you that that God who you're called to worship, the God of the Bible, the God who sent Jesus to this earth is a God who you can trust your life to. As we move in this life and from this life, you know, the Bible says that we'll face judgment before God, a holy God who created us to reflect him, to be holy like he is, And yet the Bible teaches us, and we certainly know that we've fallen short of that mark or that measure, that standard. And so when we face God and we're judged for our actions on this earth, we're going to fall short of measuring up to his standard. And that's going to mean that we face judgment and eternity separate from God. And the Bible talks about a place called hell, which is a place of torment in a lake of fire, burning sulfur. These young men were willing to go into the fire to trust that the God overall is the God they worshiped and he could save them. But even if he didn't, they would endure the flames of the fiery furnace to ensure they spend eternity with him in heaven. I wonder where you're at today if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus. He is the only one who can save you from an eternity separated from God in hell. There is a way out. Hell was not made for people. The Bible says it was made for the devil and his demons. And yet for those humans who choose not to believe in him, not put their trust in Jesus, we have that same destination. And so um, I want to call you to consider today. I'm going to have Pastor Luke uh, come out and share his testimony and a little bit of his story and what God has done in his life. He was like these young men placed in some difficult situations and had to make a decision of who he would be and and who he was gonna follow. You and I have those same tests and those same opportunities and I just wanna encourage you today to consider where you stand with God. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and him alone? Pastor Luke, come and share your testimony with us.
1: All right, yeah, yeah, I'll just stick this right here. Perfect. Yeah, well, it's good to be here with you guys today on this nice, hot summer day. Um, But I'm looking forward to being able to testify to really what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And I want to just piggyback off of what Pastor John said of the difference between being impacted by God and and truly surrendering to Jesus Christ because Nebuchadnezzar was impacted, that he saw this move of God through these three guys, through Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these four guys. But yet if you follow the story of Daniel, find King Nebuchadnezzar down the road is eating um, grass like a cow because he was unwilling to surrender to the, the, the will and the plan of God in his life. And for me, for most of my life, that's who I was. I was impacted by God since I was a little kid. I remember being, I mean, a really little kid and being very sensitive to if people said the Lord's name in vain or wanting to kind of go to church, even wanting to read my Bible, but that God had been doing something in my life and impacting me. I knew he was around me, but it took me a long time to actually find surrender to Jesus Christ from my heart. And through high school, um, Some of you guys uh, may remember back in the glory days, getting to run track and play football here in the area and then going to um, the University of South Dakota, kind of worked my whole life Um, to earn a division one scholarship. And and I did. And during that time, my relationship with God was a lot about if God was going to deliver me, you know, was he going to let me, allow me to play good in in, in football or run a fast track time. And honestly, there was a lot of fear of God in me. I feared God because I felt like if I didn't do what God said, or if I wasn't following the scriptures that I wouldn't have success, or I wouldn't be able to mount up to what God had called me to do because deep down I knew better because of principles and things that my my parents had instilled um, in me from a young age. But the truth was I never had a surrender to Christ. I'd been, again, impacted by him. But there was still this underlying um, thing in my life where I wanted to live ultimately for myself. And a lot of times the things I wanted to do, I didn't feel like I could do because they weren't the Christian things to do. But the things um, that I didn't want to do, I felt like I had to do. And so it was just kind of this this miserable lifestyle was leaving in, not living in, not feeling like I could truly be who I wanted to be because of the Christian values instilled in me. But eventually that got tested, just like John said. When I went to college, um, my first week there, the guy who I'd heard was the, like an FCA leader, not like on staff, but just um, on the football team. And he had led a couple mission trips. And my first weekend there, he was the one um, buying all the freshmen alcohol and getting everybody drunk um, our first week at um, college. So I thought, you know, I haven't really read the Bible for myself, and I didn't really have my convictions um, of what it meant to follow Jesus Christ, so I just jumped on in. And for two years, I was, I was very, very far from the Lord and really for the first time, started to experience things like depression and, and even self-medicating for that. And But from the outside looking in, I was successful. I had a Division One scholarship, I was going to school, um, I was getting to, to live out my dreams, I was getting to run track also, that from the outside looking in, it looked like I should be happy and I should be content. But ultimately, I was finding myself miserable. And finally, one day, I just thought, you know, if Jesus Christ is real, I want to know what it really looks like to follow him. Because at that point, I wasn't even sure that I believed that Jesus Christ was the son of God. And I read a book, um, Pastor Jake Roberts. Some of you guys might know him from the area. But he had given me a book two or three years earlier called Disciples Are Made Not Born. And in this book, it talks about the type of man that God used. And it had about 10 categories. As I read these 10 categories, I started to find myself not fitting into any of these categories. I was thinking, man, if I call myself a Christian, if I live Christian morality, why am I not stacking up to what the scripture actually says it means to be saved? And the book finished with the scripture of Luke 9, 24 that says, whoever desires to save his life would lose it. And whoever would lose his life for my sake would find it. And in that moment, I realized by the conviction of God I had never lost my life for Jesus. I believed he was real. I acknowledged when he moved, but that's no different than what Nebuchadnezzar did. And Nebuchadnezzar was not, God used him. He was his servant because God uses everyone, but he wasn't a son of God. He wasn't a servant. He wasn't a disciple. I started to read the book of James because that was my mom's um, favorite book, book growing up. And so I thought maybe I'd start there. I got to chapter two and James says, you believe in one God, you do well, even the demons believe and they tremble. And in that moment, I felt like God told me that was me. I believed God, I acknowledged God, but my belief in God was no different than the, than the demons who believed in God and it said they even shuddered, they trembled. That the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but the fear of God does not equal, necessarily equal salvation. As I continued to read the scriptures and, and, and seek God, Um, I actually had a dream and um, I was standing before God and it might sound corny to some of you guys, but there was a Christian rapper. I don't know how much around he is today, but I knew him from high school. And um, he had a song that said, there's only two places to dwell, heaven or hell. And and as I was in this dream, this song was playing in the background. I was standing before God and I was crying out to God to deliver me. And the scary part of the dream was I knew that he heard me and I knew that he was listening, but in that moment, he condemned me to hell. And, and, and as I was crying out to him, it was the most terrifying thing of, man, God's listening to me, but for some reason, he's not doing anything. Two weeks later, about I read in scripture, never read it before, but Matthew 7. And in Matthew 7, Jesus says, there will be many on the day of judgment that say, Lord, we've done signs and wonders. We've cried out to your name. We've done miracles. We've prophesied. We've done all these things. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, for you practiced lawlessness. In that moment, I knew that was me. I was the person who I had had given my testimony my senior year in high school in front of a bunch of people at an FCA banquet. And I wasn't saved, I didn't know Christ. I knew of him, I'd been impacted by God, but Jesus Christ hadn't changed my heart. So in that moment, I asked the Lord, I said, Jesus, I don't even know what it means to give you my life, to really lose my life for you. But I know I haven't done it. I just asked you that you would change me. I'm telling you, the next day I woke up and I was different. Christ had changed my heart. He changed my mind. The things I used to hate doing, like getting away from sin, all of a sudden I loved doing. I had an appetite for God's word. I had an appetite to serve him and disciple him. And people started getting saved on my team. We had no... um, we had no, um, I don't think, really born again believers on my football team at that time, at least nobody who talked about it. And all of a sudden people got, started getting saved and Jesus started testing me as I lost friends and I lost popularity, I lost opportunities because of my stance for Christ. And a couple of years later, I finally um, had made my way up to being able to start on the football team Um, going into my junior year, at least looking like a lot of playing time. I really felt like God was calling me to leave that and to go into the mission field. And at the time, um, my parents were excited that I was excited about Christ, but they weren't excited that I wasn't gonna finish football. In fact, nobody in my life was excited that I wasn't gonna go finish football. But instead God led me out to Fort Collins, Colorado and I started to get tested of did I really lose my life for him by leaving football? But then I got tested again as God led me to start preaching on the streets and reach out to people who were in meth addictions and coming out of prison and in gangs and started to see people get saved. People who were strung out on meth their entire life for at least last 10, 15 years. In a matter of two weeks, they were sober, restoring their marriages, getting their kids back because of the power of the gospel. I'd only been saved for about 18 months, maybe two years. But Jesus Christ was just honoring faith and honoring the power of the gospel. And it got tested again through church planting and being a part of a church, being a pastor. But then about a year ago, Sarah and I went through a very hard church split. And if you guys have been around the church for very long, you know what it's like to be hurt by those in the church. I experienced what it was like to, to be betrayed. I experienced what it was like to think I really knew somebody that I trusted. But yet there was a lot of hidden sin and things going on in the background that really shook my faith. And it was something I had dealt with my whole life. But at that time, it finally broke through was what some of you guys may know um, about something called anxiety and depression. Started having panic attacks um, two or three times a week. Didn't know what they were. Ended up at the ER a couple times because my body was just completely shutting down. And through this time, again, my my faith was tested. Was I gonna lose my life for Christ in the midst of going from somebody who could work 60, 70 hours a week to all of a sudden I could barely get out of bed in the morning? But it was a surrender to Christ and in 1 John he says, and this is love, not that we love God but that he first loved us and he gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. And I would sit on my stairs and cry and meditate on that scripture for hours at a time as God would renew my mind of what it meant to be secure in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you the last seven or eight years of following Jesus, I've lost a lot but I've gained so much more and losing my life for Jesus Christ was so much better than trying to save it. But it's a question each one of us has to answer for ourselves. Have you been impacted by Jesus Christ? That's great. It it really is. It's a blessing. But just because God has impacted us, that's only his grace reaching out to us. But then the question is, will we we respond by faith and repentance to truly lose our life for him? So we're going to enter into a time of communion and I think Pastor John has mentioned this, but a time to even be baptized. If you have felt like this is, a, this is a moment where you have been impacted by God, but have never really surrendered. Maybe you've been more of Nebuchadnezzar, of around God, but not like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going in the, in the fire. Um, I'm going to be down here. Um, I don't know what you call this. This is the bottom of the grandstand. If you would like to get baptized, we do have clothes for you. So there's no excuse with that. But secondly, maybe you have made a decision for Christ, but you've just been um, lukewarm. You haven't been, it says, Jesus says, deny ourselves daily. Maybe following Christ hasn't been a daily thing for you. We have a lot of opportunities for discipleship and to grow in your faith. So if that's something you feel like God is moving you towards, maybe it's not baptism, still come down and talk to us because we really want to have the opportunity um, to pray with you and get you plugged in. So I just want to pray for us real quick, and I'll hand it over um, back to John. Um, Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness. Jesus, I thank you that you became a man and you lived the perfect life that none of us could ever live, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus, that you took the wrath of God for my behalf, God, that I would have had to stand before you, and I would have had to pay for my sins, Lord, which I could never have paid. And Lord, I know that that requires the fire of hell. But in a sense, Jesus, you experienced the fire of hell for us. Lord, I believe you suffered more in that three hours, in that time of crucifixion, not just physically, but eternally, than any sinner ever will in hell. Lord, that you love us so, so immensely, Jesus. And for anyone here who feels like they're too far gone, Lord, I just pray that you would show them that everything they've ever done, all the sin that I had committed, all the times I had rejected you, all the times that you had reached out to me so many times, Lord, And I I said, no, Father, but I can testify of your grace. The only thing that separates me from anybody, Lord, is the grace of God and the calling that you have on my life, Lord. And so I just pray that if your grace and your calling is tugging on someone's heart here this morning, Lord, they would respond. They wouldn't harden their heart as the nation of Israel did, Lord. So I thank you, Father. I love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.